0: Hey, and welcome to the Pathway Church Podcast. We're so glad you're here to join us. We hope that this podcast inspires you to live life both for God and your city. Make sure to subscribe to stay up to date with all of our most recent episodes. And remember to leave us a five-star rating. Enjoy the message.
1: You guys put your hands together. Welcome Matt Erekaki to come and minister to us today. And while he's coming up, I want to say at 28 years old, this young man is a giant. He's a giant, he's studied and is studying at some of the most elite schools in the world. We're talking about University of Virginia, Princeton, the Johns Hopkins University, University of Chicago, and now he's a PhD candidate right now at Duke University. So you guys put your hands together for a stout young gospel leader. Matt, welcome to Pathway Church today. Thank you. Here, go ahead and grab a seat. Um, Let me say this about Matt before we get started. Matt has uh, been in formation. God has been doing a number of things in his life and has had an influential voice and is an increasing voice. Um, You're going to hear some of that today. Um, Recently, he was very instrumental in a large discussion uh, in the church. And Matt just really jumped right to the forefront and has really gotten the admiration of a number of people. And I am just so honored, Matt, to have you here. At Pathway Church this is it really a treat for me? I know it's gonna be a treat for our church. I think it's gonna be a treat for you too. So
0: absolutely. Thank you for having me, Pastor Travis, and thank you all for hosting me. I tell people all the time, I told first service I'll tell you as well. I'm an introvert, so my life is spent trying to avoid situations like the one I'm in right now. But sometimes the Holy Spirit just kind of propels you out there and tells you to do things you're not comfortable with and but that's something I'm learning and I'm growing in, but it's been great. This is my first time in Alabama.
1: So And to that I would say you're welcome. That's right. You're uh, welcome.
0: Southern hospitality is a very real thing. Um, I'm sorry.
1: You're I... also in Mississippi right now. Yes. At our South Haven campus. Oh, so. okay. I was like confused. So what's up to like... South Haven?
0: Confusing the PhD student, it's great.
1: <laughs> we do have some folks from Mississippi at Moffat Campus, I think at every campus except for maybe Foley. If you're, from Mi- if you're from Mississippi, put your hands together, make a little noise. Come on. You know y'all are rowdy?
0: Y'all are rowdy? I roll
1: tide, though. I'm sorry. I'm going to get booze, uh, uh, all, that, yeah. <laughs> lesson number one, establish credibility with the crowd. That's okay? right. That's right. But, you know, so, I just,
0: you know, I'm not a Georgia fan either, though, so that maybe gets some. Now, further. one
1: of your friends, Pastor Chuck Ramsey, came and preached here, uh, and when Pastor Chuck came, he said, we really love Alabama in Georgia because Alabama is the only thing protecting us from Mississippi. That's literally what he said. <laughs> and um, so, you know, they get okay every now and then in Georgia. You know, we pray for, we pray for them, but we're glad you're here. Um, I, yesterday, I introduced uh, Matt to uh, some oysters on the half show, and we got him some char-grilled, Uh, Oysters there at Wenzel, so that's a win, isn't it? That's almost worth Mobile right there. And uh, we'll have to get you to South Haven. We'll get you some good barbecue, some good Memphis barbecue. We can do that too. So yeah, it's really great to have you. Um, One of the things that I really wanted you to pick up from Matt today is that you would have an understanding that there's not a moment in your life where you become qualified To be a preacher of the gospel. And this church is full of preachers. We're all ministers of the gospel, every one of us. And so I want to challenge you today, just as we hear the word, that you would increase in your courage to follow after the Lord, and as the Lord opens doors, that you would walk through in the authority that comes from God. He has called each one of us. And so I want you to rise up like Matt has risen up in the areas where you have influence, in your family, in your neighborhood, in your church, in your city, in your world, wherever it is that God places you. And so I'm really hoping that Matt can impart that. And um, also I would see that today is more like, instead of let me give you a fish day, this is a let us teach you how to fish day. Um, We are answering the question, should I understand the Bible literally? So we're going to be discussing how to read and how to interpret the Bible. You're going to, find, you're going to hear a word like hermeneutic, and um, Matt's going to unpack what that word means. We, we want to talk to you about how to understand the Bible and why that's important. Um, but before we do that, would you bow your heads with me, and let's go to the Lord in prayer, and let's ask that God would bless our time together. Father, thank you that your word is alive and is powerful, and it is here You are here, you are functioning, and you are ministering. God, we pray that your Holy Spirit would empower us to receive the Word of God. Father, help us to have ears that will hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. And we'll thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. So the question is we we slimmed it down a little bit, but the question is basically should I take the Bible literally? Should I take the Bible figuratively? Uh, should it be understood only in the context that it was written in? So this is kind of the question. Is the Bible literal? Is the Bible figurative? Let me give you a couple things. I'm gonna read a couple passages and then we'll move from there. Uh, First of all, in answer to the question, is the Bible literal or figurative? I would say this, the Bible is inspired by God. If you're following along in your notes, that's a fill in the blank. You can mark that down and, and get started on sharing your notes there. But the Bible is inspired by God. Therefore, number two, the Bible is authoritative. It is not a suggestion. It is not advice. It is not merely counsel. These are the very words of God for you. They are authoritative for the church and for your life. We believe this based on the scriptures. I wanna take you to 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. And as you're turning there, Uh, I'd like to just echo some words uh, by Colin Smith. I love listening to, to Colin Smith. He says, basically there are two ways of looking at the Bible. Either the Bible is seen as the word of God or it's man's word about God. And we believe and we hold to the Bible being God's word. In fact, our official statement about the Scriptures is that we believe the whole Bible to be completely and equally inspired and that it is the written Word of God. Um, this is important to me in a day where some people will say, well, I only follow the words of Jesus. The Pauline Scriptures, you know, are that they're less authoritative, and so we don't accept that. Sometimes I'll read someone say, well, it would be better if we... Um, If we interpreted the words of Paul through the words of Jesus rather than the words of Jesus through the words of Paul, listen, the word of God is inspired by God. Now, Matt, you said something in the first service about red-letter Christians, you know, being those who would take like an exacto knife out and only read from only the words of Jesus. And what was it you said about um, being a red-letter Christian?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So the first thing I want to point out is when people say we should take the words of Jesus' to be authoritative only, and Paul's, you know, those are the words of men, so we don't really give it as much weight, but they don't realize that actually, it's not like Jesus spoke and it like leaped onto the page, like humans still had to record Jesus's words, right? So there were still human um, vessels involved in that activity. So as Christians, we believe that the entire scriptures are authoritative, that they're inspired, God breathed, right? And so we don't believe that we're red letter Christians, that we only follow the letters in red, right? You can be a lead letter Christian if your entire Bible has red letters in it. So if the whole thing is in red, then perfect, you can be a red letter Christian. But otherwise, we believe that, you know, Paul's epistles, they are equally the words of Christ, the words that the Spirit is speaking to the church.
1: And now this isn't just our idea. This isn't the idea of a corporatized church. In fact, the church is not an organization. The church is an organism It's living, it is the biggest group, collective of people on the planet, and the church has done more for the widow, the orphan, for education, for hospitalization, for medicine, uh, for theology, for art, than any other institution. It's actually quite impressive that every Sunday and every Saturday, every day of the week, there are people gathering all over the world in cathedrals, in churches, in storefronts, in movie theaters, in businesses, tucked away in the underground church, fearing arrest, fearing persecution, all worshiping one God whose son is Jesus, a triune God, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit that we gather together and we worship. This isn't our idea. In fact, I want to read to you in, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, why it is that we believe all Scripture is inspired. Um, Paul says this. He says, all Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and make us realize what is wrong in our life. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. So all scripture. Now, if we jump over to 2 Peter uh, verse 1, and we'll start at verse 16. I want to read this, and then um, Matt and I will jump in. Um, Peter says, for we were not making up clever stories when we told you about the powerful coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We saw his majestic splendor with our own eyes when he received honor and glory from God the Father. The voice from the majestic glory of God said to him, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. We ourselves heard that voice. We heard it ourselves, we were witnesses. We heard it ourselves, um, heard that voice from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain because of that experience. We have even greater confidence in the message proclaimed By the prophets, so Jesus' coming did not cause the disciples to lose faith in their faith. It caused them to increase their faith in the messages uh, claimed proclaimed by the prophets, as in the Old Testament, Isaiah, Jeremiah, um, the major prophets and minor prophets. And they said, uh, Peter said, "You must pay close attention to what they wrote, for their words." are like a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and Christ the morning star shines in your heart. This is important to me because there are a number of Christians today that say that we should only listen to the words of Jesus. We should only take the New Testament and the Old Testament is like discarded. It's not the truth. He's saying, pay, actually pay more attention because now we have greater faith in it. He said, um, you must realize that no prophecy in scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. This is important because today there are pastors and theologians and Christian thought leaders that will say things like, well, this particular passage was um, written in a time that was bigoted and a time of misogyny and the patriarchy had you know, applied itself on those writers. And no, Peter's saying, no, this is not of human initiative. These words are the very words of God. No, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. So here's what I want you to know is that you can trust this book. And this book is from God and this book is authoritative for God. And that, Matt, will change depending on whether we not view this word being from God or like Colin Smith says, being from man about God, that'll change how a church functions, that'll change how a church uh, a believer lives.
0: Absolutely, and it will only not determine how a believer lives, it will impact entire denominations. So a lot of the institutions that I have studied at have succumbed to theological liberalism, and a lot of them started down this path, the first step down that road was forsaking their view of a high inspiration of Scripture. So when you think about what's at stake on how we understand the Bible, there's a lot at stake It's the reason why, for example, the Methodist church right now is about to split. Because at some point, a low view of Scripture was introduced, right? And so then with that came a deterioration of, well, that's not really what God said. The Bible is not fully God's word. It's just man's word that contains some of God's words. And then you just get this spiraling downward until finally your denomination has just on the brink of disaster, right? So this is something that's utterly important for us as a denomination to understand that Scripture from Genesis to Revelation is completely God's Word, and we need to make sure that we are interpreting that properly.
1: So really, when we have disagreements over core issues in the Scriptures, not disputable things, but indisputable things, not um, open-handed doctrine where, you know, we're left to be led by the Holy Spirit, but closed-handed doctrine where we can't, we we can't let go of this. In fact, we have to let go of one another if teachers in the church let go of these things. Um, these actually are not individual issues. Really, it's a matter of our treatment of the Scripture, the authority of the Scripture, inerrancy, uh, infallibility of the Scriptures. So when we have disagreements in the church about certain things, listen, there are a lot of things we can disagree on, but there are some things that it is inappropriate for a believer to disagree on. And when the Bible is clear, there is no opportunity for diversity. There is only a demand for unity and uniformity, both. So, hey, we, will, we are free to disagree over a number of things, but where this authoritative inspired word of God is clear, you know what our job is to do? Realize that there is a God and we are not him and it's our job to line up and follow Jesus, amen? Can we just say amen on that? Let's do that, amen.
0: amen. And if I can just add to that, the New Testament always puts the blame about division on those who are promoting heresy, right? So it's, not, it's never those who stand up for truth, that's not their fault that there's division, right? It's always those who've been introduced who are trying to split the church. So even you just read from Second Peter, uh, this is just chapter two, verses one through three. But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false prophets among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways, because of whom, because of, because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed by covenantness. They will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time, their judgment has been idle; has not been idle, and their destruction does not slumber. So here, Peter saying there's going to be false prophets even in your midst who are trying to lead you astray from the truth. Now, this is important because you flip over just to the next book, right? First John uh, chapter 4 beginning in verse 1. This is what John writes. He says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Now, the thing you need to know about a false prophet is that they still speak in the name of the Lord, right? That's the problem, They come to you in the name of the Lord, but they're not actually sent by the Lord. And yet, because they speak in God's name, they lead many people astray. We see this even in the Old Testament, right? Jeremiah's opponents, they said, thus says the Lord, thus says Yahweh. And then they gave a message that contradicted what the Lord was speaking to Jeremiah, right? So one of them was lying. One of them wasn't telling the truth. And yet the people, they had the choice. Am I going to listen to Jeremiah or the prophet that's telling me what I want to hear? You know, Hananiah was saying, you're not going to go into exile. The Lord's going to save you from the Babylonians. But Jeremiah said, no, you're going into exile because you had time to repent of your sin, and you didn't, right? And so false prophets come to us in the name of the Lord, but we have to have the discernment to see through them.
1: So discernment is a function of the Holy Spirit, but it's also a function of our behavior. When we're trying to identify a counterfeit teaching... The best thing that we can do is to specialize in the truth of God's word. That's why it's important for us to read the Bible. That's one of my big hopes about Matt being here today. And it's a, it's a current constant theme of the church is you need to be in the word of God. I'm talking like in your home with your kids and devotions in your own time. You know, if you're driving in the car, you, are, you have an opportunity to listen to some preaching, listen to the scriptures. Sit down with your family, open up the Bible. You know, make it a part of your daily life because if you don't, how would you discern a word from God um, being different than a word, um, an errant word from a man about God? We got to hide God's word in our heart. Why? So that we don't sin against God. So my hope is that when we walk out, we'll be hungrier for the Word of God. And then, Matt, maybe you can give us some tools for how we can understand how to interpret the Bible. Uh, as a pastor, one of the things I get a lot of times is that people say, can you recommend a good Bible, something that I can understand? Uh, you know, reading the King James, I've memorized a lot of Scripture in the King James. Um, but it's kind of like Shakespeare, Yeah, really. When, you know, I remember in, um, in college... My history professor was at Lee University. He was Southern, as Southern could be, Tennessee. And he, he was like a redneck with a PhD. And, and then when he would pray to open the the, the the class, he would shift into King James. Oh, Lord, as thou hast painted the heavens and the earth. And I'm thinking, oh, that's King James. How, how you know, can you help us understand what sometimes feels like a really complicated book? How can we interpret and understand the Scriptures?
0: Well, just to jump back to your previous point really fast, though, I want to say the way they teach people to catch counterfeits is to study the original, right? If you know what the original is supposed to look like, like think of a dollar bill, you're going to be able to catch the counterfeit Mm. because of what it's lacking, what it's missing, right? So that's the same truth for spiritual reality. How we catch counterfeits is by knowing God's Word. And as much as we want to help the body of believers discern that, ultimately, and we, you know, day in and day out, we're going to be here, we're going to preach on Sundays, but it's up to the believer to be in this book daily, studying God's Word. Now, as Pastor Travis said, sometimes this can be difficult, right? And I just want to read another passage from 2 Peter, it's been very uh, lucrative for us this morning, about how sometimes Scripture is difficult to understand. So this is 2 Peter chapter 3. Uh, beginning with verse 14. He says, Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, without spot and blameless, and consider that long suffering of our Lord salvation. As also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction as they do all the rest of the scriptures. So here, Peter is giving a clear warning. He's saying scripture can be hard to understand and people will twist them for their own purposes. Mm -hmm. So we have to come to scripture knowing how to interpret it. That's an important question. And that's what we're talking about today Mm -hmm. is the issue of hermeneutics. Now that's a big theological word. What What
1: is a hermeneutic?
0: Right, a hermeneutic is just a method that you have for interpreting scripture. And we all have it. We all have a hermeneutic, right? And whether it's implicit or explicit, we all come to the text with a way of interpreting it. Now that's...
1: So it's like like an interpretive lens. That's right, yes.
0: And not every hermeneutic is equal, right? So we live in an era of postmodernism. And if you don't know what postmodernism is, it just just means uh, it's a belief that everyone's truth is valid, that truth is subjective, you get to decide truth for yourself, right?
1: Yeah, you got to speak your truth. Right, exactly. Which is... Insane. It is insane because... Truth doesn't care who you are. Truth is just truth. That's right. It's just truth.
0: And so we have to, what is truth, right? That's what Pilate said. And that's what we have to ask when we come to Scripture. So we have to put aside, to the best of our ability, our preconceived ideas, what we want Scripture to say, and ask, no, what, not what do I want Scripture to say, but what is Scripture saying to me? It's a difference between two terms. Eisegesis, which is when we read what we want, we read our views into the text, right? An exegesis when we take from the text and say what it's trying to say, see what it's trying to say to us, right?
1: Okay, so our interpretation some, some people could say, Well, no, I believe that the Bible is inerrant, I believe in the authority of the scripture, but what matters is your hermeneutic or your interpretation. So, here's what is happening all around us you see it. How many of you have an Instagram account? You have an Instagram, raise your hand. You know, if you're Facebook. TikTok, Twitter, whatever, there's all kinds of pop theologians, there's all kinds of people who are writing books that are coming out with these new truths using new hermeneutics to say whatever they want the Bible to say. Now, they're reading the same Bible, but they're explaining away using a different interpretational lens. And, and so, I just, one, I want, want to tell you, just because a book is in a Christian bookstore does not mean it is a Christian book. Um. There, there, are some, there are some books that are getting published by mainstream Christian publishers that if I found out one of our small groups was using the book, I'd throw the book out the window and, and I'd think twice about throwing the small group leader out the window, mm-hmm. right? I mean, I think it, well, it probably just bought it from a Christian book. It used to be what we would say when, when our, with our small group leaders is you can pick a book as long as it's you know, in this particular publisher. But now I'm talking to our smart group leaders. Hey, make sure you're checking all the books, because there's all kinds of pop theologians that are sharing things. Um, and so let me let me say it like this: If you want a, um, if you want an interpretation, you want a, a, you want the Bible to affirm your lifestyle, get a lifestyle hermeneutic that will you that the Bible says that's okay. Do you want an LGBTQ uh, conclusion? Get an LGBTQ hermeneutic or interpretational lens. Uh, do you want a lens that will be all about your success? Get a success-based hermeneutic. Just treat the Bible like a buffet. You can get God's Word to tell you whatever it is that you want. But we need an interpretational filter that will help us to be faithful to God's word. That's right.
0: And so we need to really, we need to begin with a method, right? And I think that method is beginning with understanding a text in its historical context. So what I tell my students at Duke is that scripture is separated from us by thousands of years, uh, and it's belonging to a completely different culture. Ancient Israel is nothing like contemporary America. And so it's operating with a different uh, set of assumptions. And so we need to enter that world of the text, enter the mind of the authors to the best of our ability so that we can begin to interpret the text correctly. Because as Peter says, scripture is difficult, right? There are some passages that are difficult to understand. And how we get to understand them better is by comparing it to uh, literature that was around at the time. So for example, the idea of the image of God So that same phrase shows up in Egyptian and Mesopotamian literature, and that helps us understand how the cultures around Israel understood what the image of God was, which then helps us understand how Scripture departs from those understandings, but also might share some similarities with them. So we come to understand the term a little better, right? And so we need to begin with the historical context. That is a huge uh, entry point for the Scriptures, and that's why scholars spend their lifetimes studying ancient texts, ancient languages. Sometimes in the church, I hear things like, you know, I don't, I don't want theology. I just want a relationship with Jesus, right? So just to paint how crazy that sounds, apply that to any other relationship in your life, okay? So if, if you're married, apply it to your spouse, whether it's your wife or your husband, right? Say, I don't want to actually know that person. I just want to have a relationship with them. Does that make sense? No, right? Because if you're going to have a relationship with it someone... It doesn't
1: work either. I just... Yeah. <laughs> married since 1999. That's not how that works. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. You need to
0: know who that person is. That's what it means to have a relationship with them, right? Theology helps us in our relationship with the Lord because we discover who he is, what his likes are, his dislikes, what he's for, what he's against, right? Mm -hmm. What truth is, how he created us, what he expects of us, what we can expect of him. And these things, they help strengthen our relationship with the Lord. So it's not relationship or theology, it's relationship through theology. And so we're Protestants, right? I'm here to tell you this morning that theology doesn't belong to the scholar. It doesn't belong to the pastor alone. Martin Luther said he wanted to make the plowboy more knowledgeable about the Bible than the Pope. And I want that to be true for for this denomination, for this church today, right? We are all called to pursue the Lord, we, there is not, we don't put our finger on a clerical authority as the thing that defines truth, right? Scripture is truth, So and truth is available to you daily. It's right in your fingertips, right on your phones. You have access to it 24-7. You can become more knowledgeable than ma- many religious scholars out there. You just have to put forth the effort to do And I it.
1: think that's one of my concerns as a pastor and also a dad, and you know, now being on the road of fatherhood for, you know, almost 19 years, um, is the idea that, you know, you're going to get your kids to church. And then once you get them to church, the youth pastor and the kids pastor and the senior pastor are going to give you guys everything that you need. But I just want to tell you in 2022, it's impossible to do that. We get, you know, an hour and 15 minutes, hour and a half on Sundays, Another hour, hour and a half on Wednesday nights, and then whatever small group that you're in, which not all of the church is in a small group, which if you're not in a small group, get in a small group. But our kids are on this like 24 hours a day. And then when they're not on this, they're in school. And who knows what your teacher, your kids' teacher, there's amazing teachers. We have incredible teachers and school administrators here, but we've all, if you've had kids, you know, that you also, your kids have some teachers that are not that great. I remember having a conversation with one of our kids about a bad teacher they had, and we were communicating to our kids, hey, some of the best teachers that you have will be the most challenging for you to deal with. You have an opportunity to to learn a lot there. But it's a lot for us to compete with to think that in a couple hours a week, we can compete with the culture. And so mom and dad, son and daughter, grandparents, neighbors, friends, small group leaders. To Matt's point, you gotta be a good theologian and you have to impart a desire to read and study the Word because it's only gonna be God's Word in our heart that keeps us from sinning against God in this culture that is so accessible and with so many self-proclaimed experts that can lead us astray. I think one of the things we're talking about also is being able to have trustworthy spiritual leaders in those proven paths, in those ancient boundary stones, it says, I may not know everything, but I know that guy right there, that lady right there, they've been following the Lord. And so that's a good pattern for me to um, follow. To These are good examples. Um, this could also help us, even in interpretation.
0: Absolutely. And I work a lot with high school, middle school students in all the churches that I attend, wherever I am, And one thing I tell them is be very careful about what you hear on TikTok or what you see on Instagram. There's a lot of bad theology on social media, often proliferated by people who aren't even scholars. They don't know what they're talking about or they pretend to be scholars. So one student showed me a video of this woman who claimed to have an MDiv and she said she took two semesters of Hebrew, which by the way is not a lot. Uh, Knowing a little bit about a thing can make you dangerous because you think you know more than you actually do. And she was using this platform, she was on TikTok saying, yeah, uh, you know, scripture affirms LGBT value. And I was just like, no, like, first off, you don't actually know the biblical languages. Second off, I can point you to passage after passage after passage after passage that actually makes the opposite point that you're trying to make. Mm. And so be careful what you hear out there because there are people who sound convincing and they may even throw credentials in your face. But that doesn't mean they know what they're talking about. And like John says, you have to test the spirits to see whether they are from God. And if something's not sitting right with you, you should reach out to your spiritual fathers, to your spiritual mothers, the ones who have risen you up, who have poured into you.
1: So let's take what you just said and what we were saying a little earlier about how some people will choose only the words of Jesus. They'll say, you know, I'm a red letter Christian or um, something along those lines. And well, because Jesus never spoke about this particular issue— then it's not binding on me, right? Um, which I th- I think it was I think it was Wesley. I could be wrong. He said if you can pick and choose from the Bible, uh, what you believe it's not the Bible you believe, but yourself. But you know you believe in yourself. A very humanistic type of posture. Um, but that actually is not what we do. In the case of sexuality, though, some people actually one of the questions in uh, asking for our friend was. Um, If Jesus never spoke directly about homosexuality, why is it a sin? So I think this might be a good opportunity for us to understand how to interpret um, scriptures. Matthew chapter 19. I'll read this as far as what Jesus did speak about. uh, One of the cases where Jesus speaks about sexuality and marriage. Matthew 19 verse 3, he says, Some Pharisees came and tried to trap him with this question. Should man be allowed to divorce his wife for just any reason? Jesus says, haven't you read the scriptures? They record that from the beginning, God made them male and female. So here we have Jesus affirming historical, traditional, scientific, factual, sexuality, gender identity. There, you cannot choose your gender. You can't do it. Listen, a thousand years from now, or let's say a hundred years from now, when they dig up your bones, your bones will scream out that you were a male or a female. And that's science. But Jesus here says, From the beginning, he made them male and female. And he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one, since they are no longer two, but one let no one split apart what God has joined together. So here, what does Jesus do? He affirms traditional, historical, um, creational aspects of sexuality and marriage. He said, "This this is the picture. This is how God made this made us to function. Uh, He does that, but he does not explicitly uh, discuss the 700 or 800 however many um, identifiers along this supposed gender identity spectrum. Um,
0: Yeah, it's really, there's so much to say on this topic, and I'm just bound to forget some of it, but I'll just focus on Genesis right now. It's funny you bring that up, because The actual God's command to humanity, to mankind, is to go and to have rule, to have dominion over the earth, right? And he says, go and spread across the face of the earth. That's why procreation exists, was to spread God's image across the face of the earth so that his representatives could rule. So the fact, gender exists because we are made in the image of God, and he made us male and female. He made us a binary for that reason, just for the sole purpose of reproduction, so that we could spread across the face of the earth. He did not create 2,000 genders, right? And he did not ordain the fact that two people of the same gender could be together because that goes against his natural design for what he created human sexuality to be all about, was to spread his reign across the earth.
1: Now, I do believe that Paul shares uh, where in creation, you know, some were born eunuchs. So there are natural considerations, there are anomalies that happen. But when God creates us, he creates us male and female. Are people born with genetic um, anomalies? Yes, absolutely. We all know that. But that is not what this culture is pushing.
0: Right, you can't use an exception to make sweeping claims about truth itself, right? And also, I would say genetic malfunctions are a result of the fall. So that's another key kind of in this cog is that... Genesis is telling us the way things should be, and then we observe the way things are now. We can't use the way things are now to reflect back on that, necessarily.
1: So, and now to get back to the interpretational value here, is when uh, Jesus is addressing this issue, he's doing so as a Jew? That's
0: right. So, I want to say several things on this issue. There are many moral issues that Jesus does not address in the New Testament. That does not mean that they're okay right? So Jesus does not, for example, talk about sexual assault in the New Testament. We all think that that's wrong, right? And so if you use that sort of hermeneutic that people are saying, well, Jesus didn't say it, therefore it's okay, well, then there's a whole, that opens the door for a whole lot of things to be okay that we're not okay with. So just think about that for a second. The second thing is this argument actually backfires on the people who make it because Jesus was a Second Temple Jew, And as a Second Temple Jew, Jesus believed in the Torah. He believed that the Torah was authoritative. He quotes the Torah as authoritative, as the words of God himself. And so the Torah is against homosexuality. It speaks out against it. It calls it a sin. So Jesus, unless we hear otherwise, we would assume that he holds that to be true as well. So the fact that Jesus doesn't bring this issue up means that he holds to the traditional Jewish view of the time was that homosexuality is a sin. Now, if we, if we wanted him to, if we wanted to prove that Jesus was for homosexuality, we would actually want him to bring the issue up, to overturn it. Because in the book of Matthew, for example, he often says, you have heard it said, but I say unto you. Where he's reversing That's a good. precedent, something that was misunderstood by the Jewish people at the time, right? He doesn't do that with the issue of homosexuality, which shows that he accepts the Old Testament's view on human sexuality.
1: I think another thought I, I had was, you know, Jesus finds a woman who is, committed, who is found committed, committing the act of adultery, and he speaks to that. He affirms the Old Testament view. Uh, he affirms um, the issue of adultery uh, as something to avoid, to abstain, uh, something that would cause you to need repentance, to bring a sacrifice, to find forgiveness. So not only is he um, making a statement here about marriage, but he also, in other places, holds to that view that he held as a Jew, correct? That's right,
0: and uh, some people, they, their counter-argument is, well, we don't hold to the dietary laws anymore, we eat pork, don't we? But that's actually not quite so simple. You look at Leviticus 19, where the prohibition against homosexuality is found, and the Lord says to the people of Israel, look, the people who lived in the land before you did this act, and the land vomited them out because of it, right? If you do the same thing, the same thing will happen to you, right? So it was wrong, not just for the Israelites, it was wrong for the people that came before the Israelites, and it's wrong for the people that come after the Israelites. Here, Scripture is giving a universal moral value, and we can tell that through the context. So it's important, again, to read a passage in its immediate context so you can see what that is actually trying to say.
1: And then when you say that Jesus would have spoken to overturn something, um, a good example of that would be when Peter has the vision Uh, of the clean and unclean animals, and God says, okay, have at the bacon. Guys, enjoy bacon, which I just want to say, praise God for the two meals of bacon that I had yesterday. Can somebody give bacon an amen, right? So we we actually see that, which informs our interpretational lens. It informs our hermeneutic so that we can understand how to um, understand the Scripture. Also considering that if we believe the Bible to be holy and completely inspired, both the Old Testament and the New Testament, then not only would we accept uh, Peter's um, vision, and not only would we accept the words of Jesus, but we all would also accept uh, the words in Romans chapter 1 that not only um, talks about God turning us over to our unclean uh, selves, uh, as far as sexuality is concerned, but also gossip and slander and all of these other things that are outflow of that. So Scripture is not silent at all. The only way that you could come to a place where you could even remotely uh, affirm these—it's pop, it's not just sexuality. It's a number of pop theologies and ideologies that are out there—is to reduce yourself down only to the words of Jesus, and in doing so you actually devalue not only all of scripture, but you even devalue the very authority of Jesus because we no longer have the prophets pointing to Jesus. We have no longer have the prophecies where Jesus fulfills. So to me, this is a great opportunity for us to value the scriptures and then to understand how to piece these uh, passages together so that we have a whole council of scripture that leads us and guides us. What
0: it really comes down to, when you look at postmodernism, that truth is subjective, you get to decide what's true for yourself. What that really is saying is that I'm God. I get to decide what's right. I get to decide what's true. It's the original sin in the garden, right? Where Adam and Eve, they want to decide morality for themselves. They want the knowledge of God. And so they go and they eat the fruit. But that's not the way scripture works. Scripture says that the Lord is king over the universe, right? He decides what is morally correct and incorrect. And so if he's truly God and not us, we don't get to decide what's moral and immoral. That's up to the Lord. It is only ours for us to recognize accept and then put into practice those things.
1: That's really good. Hey, are you appreciative for Matt Erakaki today? Was that really helpful for you? Now, um, as, as we get ready to close out the service today, I'd really like for Matt to share just briefly about how he came to Christ and why this discussion is so important for us as people, parents, grandparents, children, Matt, how did you come to know Christ?
0: Sure. So I grew up in a nominally Methodist family. And if you don't know much about the Methodist church, it's a mainline Protestant denomination that by and large has succumbed to theological liberalism. Um, Church meant nothing to me growing up. I went every week.
1: And And there are faithful Methodists.
0: There are faithful Methodists, yes. So
1: there is a literal split going on in the Methodist church right now. As we
0: speak, yes. So
1: we we have churches in our community that are deciding which denomination to go to and the conservative gospel faithful wing of the Methodist Church are being required to pay an exit fee to their denomination to maintain their properties. It's really a really terrible thing. That's so, right. And I just, you know, I, I want it to be known that to our faithful brothers and sisters in mainline churches, churches that are um, advocating all kinds of ideologies that oppose this, is that we're praying for you. I pray that you're able to fight and keep your buildings and you know throw people off your property that have hijacked generations of gospel faithfulness and retain the heritage and the gospel that has been given to you from your mother and your grandmother, your great grandfather. This word, you know, John Wesley would be turning over in his grave if he knew what was going on. That's right.
0: Yes, and that's true. And um, I Was dead spiritually growing up. And I came to a point in middle school where I got deep into sin. And I know that sounds weird saying, oh, you're just in middle school, but I'm telling you, I was lost and I didn't see a way out. And I was in high school and just continued going deeper and deeper in sin. And I was a freshman in high school when my friend on the school bus said, hey, why don't you come to youth group with me one one night? And I said, I'm not really doing anything else, so sure. My brother and I went and it completely changed my life. If you had asked me, if, was I a Christian growing up, I would have told you, yes. I believe that there is a creator God. I thought that's what it meant to be a Christian. The book of James says, even the demons believe that and shudder. And I heard the gospel for the first time that I can't continue living in my sin and follow after the Lord. I have to choose one or the other. And I remember having to make a decision. I remember I was sitting on the back porch and I was just thinking, what do I want? I remember thinking, this, this Lord, this risen Lord that I've encountered is real. He's real. He's true. And I just knew at that moment that it had to be my sin that had to leave. And so for the first time, I put away my sin, I repented, and I decided to follow after Christ. And since then, I've been discipled. Uh, pastor Tony Woodski in Virginia was my youth pastor. Pastor Daryl Waller uh, was a senior pastor when I was saved and they poured into me, they discipled me. When I went off to college, uh, Dr. Bear was my pastor, and he continued to disciple me. I owe my faith to a lot of people like you, people who were faithful, people who took me under their wing when I was fledgling in my faith. And that's why as a scholar, I don't look down on people like you. People like you make up the church. You're the reason why we do what we do. Without you, there is no church, right? We're just called to help you be everything you can be to your own family, to your own kids, to the kids here in Mobile, Alabama, who maybe are riding a school bus and they're lost. Look at the empty chairs that are around you today. You know, God cares just as much about the chairs that are not represented here today than those that are. Who can we invite to be a part of this church? Who can we invite to hear the gospel Who can we be Christ to? It all starts with this, though. We have to walk in the power of God's word. And to do that, we have to be able to interpret it
1: correctly. So we're not inviting people to an activity at a place with people. We're inviting people to the family of God, to the word of God, to be led by the spirit of God. That is hope. Thank God for our events. Thank God for youth group. Amen. Thank God for youth pastors. It's our theology that causes us to invite people to church. If we believe that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, then there should be an urgency in how we engage our world. If we believe that one day we will die and we will stand before God and give an account for our works done in the flesh, then there will be an urgency about how we pray in this altar. There'll be an urgency in how we worship. There'd be a word, an urgency in how we raise our family. How we have our theology, how we view the word of God, it impacts everything. So that's my prayer. If I
0: can just add one more thing. Yeah, please. I thank God when I was lost, I had a church that told me that my sin was sin and did so in a loving way, but did not redefine God's word for me. If they hadn't done that, I would be 14 years in a different direction today. And so some people will try to convince you that to speak the truth of God's word is unloving, it's unkind. It was the kindest thing that could have been done for me. Because had it not been done, I wouldn't be here today. And so my encouragement to you is, yes, of course in love, but speak the truth. Because the Holy Spirit is still changing lives. He's still on mission here in America, here in Mobile. We just have to open our eyes to see what He's doing. We hope you've been blessed by this week's podcast. Make sure to subscribe to stay up to date with all of our most recent episodes and visit pathwaychurch.us
1: give. We'll see you next week.